What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to another edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill, joined today by Dave Serrano and Joe Healy. Welcome back uh, to the show, guys. Thanks for having us back, Teddy. Yeah, thanks, Teddy. Yeah, so... It is a, an exciting day here at Baseball America. We have released the preseason top 25 over at BaseballAmerica.com. If you haven't seen that yet, I encourage you to go check that out. And with that, uh, as, as we have done for many years, uh, we break down each of the top 25 teams over at BaseballAmerica.com. Uh, those will be rolling out throughout the week. The top five are there today on Monday. Tomorrow you get six through ten, and by the end of the week, all 25 teams will be there. Uh, you can also find all of this in the Baseball America College preview, which we are still working on. It will be sent to press soon, and then uh, it'll be either in your mailbox or on newsstands uh, not too long after that. So look for that in February. Uh, but until then, uh, you can read it online and we'll have plenty more content, uh, preview content, as we lead up to opening day on February 15. But today, we are focused on the top 25. If you haven't checked it out online, it starts out as number one Vanderbilt, number two LSU, number three UCLA, number four Florida, number five North Carolina, and from there, I'm going to encourage you to check it out because I don't want to run through all 25 teams right now. But it's, a, it's an exciting time when we have this, this top 25 to talk about. You know, when we met to, to talk about the 25, uh, it seemed like we all kind of were on board uh, you know, with the, the number one team and, and the number two team. The, the, there were a few teams that had kind of separated themselves and that, that we were we were on board with it being Vanderbilt 1, LSU 2, UCLA 3 pretty quickly. You know, that's not that uncommon, I don't think, when, when we do preseason rankings. But, you know, it, it was interesting to see that it, it came together that way. And, you know, just kind of what stands out to me more than anything is, is how much talent all of these teams have. But really what separated Vanderbilt for me is the depth of the returning talent. Uh, you know, you're looking at eight position players returning. You're looking at the whole starting rotation back, almost the entire bullpen's back. Uh, and at least for me, that, that kind of is what set Vanderbilt apart. But, uh, you know, what did you guys think when, when you were kind of making that decision at, at number one? Well, Teddy, this is Dave. I, I you know, I'm going to echo what you said. It, it was a, it's a deep 25, and it, and it goes beyond 25. There's teams that, that didn't get ranked that I believe uh, would be worthy of being ranked. And, me being the, the new one on, on, on board, being from the other side on the field, uh, I realize how hard this is to uh, choose these teams now. And, and as I'm sure many coaches will say, whether you're ranked number one or you're not ranked at all, it doesn't matter what the preseason rankings are. You want to be ranked at the end of the year. Um, but for me, it was like what you said. I just felt Vanderbilt, their depth. And the other thing that is, is that they're returning a lot of seniors, and that usually doesn't happen at Vanderbilt. 
And when, when programs uh, that uh, have the status of a place like Vanderbilt are returning that many older, experienced guys with the good nucleus of young guys, that's what's going to separate them from the rest of the country. Yeah, for me with Vanderbilt, it's so often, and we, as we get further down the rankings, we're, we're going to have these types of discussions. So often you see teams that they return a lot of guys, um, but the high-end talent might not necessarily be there. So how do you how do you value that versus there are other teams that, boy, this team is, is crazy talented, um, but they really have a whole lot to prove. We haven't seen them do it in the springtime yet. Um, and Vanderbilt's a team that has both, and that's that's really, really rare, and that's why they are where they are, and LSU is kind of the same way. But, um, you know, they've, they've got the high-end talent that's uh, upperclassmen, a guy like J.J. Bladé, for example, who's got a lot of helium as a, as a prospect and just as a productive player at the college level. And then you book in that with a guy like Kumar Rocker, who uh, might not necessarily have a big role right away, but I would be very, very surprised if a guy with that type of ability uh, doesn't find his way into a spot at some point uh, throughout the season. So it's just a rare combination of a team with a ton of depth a ton of high-end talent, a team that knows who they are, a team that has established roles, just a team without a lot of question marks. Um, they're really – LSU is a close second for me, but Vanderbilt was the team that, that I had eyed as, as the number one team for me uh, long, long ago for those reasons. When we look at these teams, so many of them are you know have the, these high-end prospects and, and, and have a lot of, of returning players, and uh, the combination of all of that is really kind of what you're looking for at the top end of the – these rankings. So I wanted to dive in a little deeper into these top five teams, and, and we'll just start with Vanderbilt, number one. You know, that's a team that is coming off of, uh, you know, they made Super Regionals last year, and they very nearly made it to Omaha. Uh, Mississippi State took them to, to the brink, and they played extra innings, and in game three of that Super, it was kind of a wild game in Nashville, and, and ultimately the 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 Bulldogs were able to come out on top. The rally banana prevailed, and Mississippi State went to went to Omaha. But if that Vanderbilt team, you know, goes to Omaha, you know, it it, it would have made a lot of sense. They, they would not have looked out of place in Omaha. And I, you know, I, I think that what they have coming back from that group is so impressive. Like I mentioned, they have eight returning players in the the starting lineup. They have the bulk of the pitching staff. Dave alluded to how many seniors they have back and. Uh, you know, that, that's, that is a rare thing for Vanderbilt, and they have five seniors on the roster, and they're going to play most of these guys. You know, we're talking about experienced guys like Patrick Raby, who has Friday night experience in the SEC, and, you know, Stephen Scott, who hit 15 bombs last year. And, you know, so th- these are very important players on the team. And then you add to that the number two recruiting class in the country, headlined by Kumar Rocker, uh, who was ranked number 13 in last year's draft class, high school, college, everyone, number 13. And he winds up on campus, and you know. So you add some premium players like that, and you know, the the one spot that I look at with Vanderbilt, and I kind of say like th- this is the one thing they're missing is that they don't have you know kind of an elite Friday night guy. Drake Fellows, Patrick Raby, they're both very solid pitchers, but neither one of them, at least to this point, has been a Carson Fulmer or Kyle Wright or David Price type, guys that we're used to seeing at Vanderbilt. And, you know, they can win a lot of games like that. That's not, you know, going to prevent them from going anywhere they want to go. But when I look at that, it is a little different. They also don't have maybe a lockdown closer. They never really identified a closer last year. Uh, But the pieces are there for that. And maybe by May, Kumar Rocker is either that elite closer or that high-end Friday night guy. Kyle Wright did that as a freshman on the – you know, on, a, on an Omaha team that he went to the bullpen. Carson Fulmer did that. He went to the bullpen. He started there. And, um, you know, they both wind up going out in the top 10 picks of the draft. And maybe that's what Kumar Rocker does. Maybe he works into the rotation somewhere. But I like the pieces that Vanderbilt has. Even the one position player they're replacing, Connor Kaiser, one of the best defensive shortstops in the country, well, Vanderbilt's probably going to put Ethan Paul there, just move him from second base over. Uh, but they also have Austin Martin and Jason Gonzalez working out there. And any of those three guys would start at so many teams around the country uh, at shortstop that there's just a plethora of options there and, and so many different ways that the Commodores can go in, in any position this season. Yeah, I agree, Teddy. I, I think that the key word you said in that is pieces, and you know how well Vanderbilt has recruited over the years, and they notoriously bring in top classes. And I think over the course of the season, I think uh, Tim Corbin and his coaching staff will figure out where to put those pieces 
It's not like they have some, some vacancies that, that there's not talent. I think it, over the, the first couple months they'll figure out who is going to be their lockdown Friday guy and someone will emerge. And, and I, I think, you know, you said it, uh, bringing back a senior that performed on Team USA a couple years ago like Patrick Raby, bringing back not just what he does on the mound and how, much, how many innings he's logged with experience, but the kind of makeup he is, well, what that does for the young guys like a Kumar Rocker with his experience and the kind of person he is will just allow those guys to grow up faster. I think it'll just be a steadier bunch this year, too. I think the last thing I have on it is uh, last year was a little bit of a roller coaster for them. I saw them early in the season, and they looked really good against Duke and what turned out to obviously be a very, very good Duke team. Um, and then they had kind of these ups and downs, and at one point they weren't quite a lock to get into regionals, which is a weird thing, you know, for a position for Vanderbilt to be in late in the season. Of course, they steadied the ship, and they, they ended up getting there and, and going far. But it's a little bit up and down, and some of that was the youth, obviously, and some of that I think is what Teddy alluded to, which is they really were kind of shuffling some roles around as the season went on on the pitching staff and didn't quite establish some things that we kind of maybe assumed would be established at some point. And I think that kind of stuff probably goes away this year, and I think that just really goes a long way. Uh, toward making a team successful uh, in, a, in a big way is just that they're so steady. Uh, you know they're not going to have back-to-back bad weekends. All teams have, have tough weekends here and there, but it's just a team that you know is just going to be steady from start to finish. And, and at the top end here, all these coaches have national titles. The, the first four all, all have won, but you know that Tim Corbin is going to get the most out of this team. And you know I think there is still going to be some shuffling early on. That's what he does. He, he needs to find... Uh, there are so many pieces they need to find what the right combination is. But uh, by the time they roll into SEC play in week five, I, I think they're going to have a pretty good idea of what they want to be. And certainly by the time we get to the middle of the year, Vanderbilt is going to be you know, hitting on all cylinders. They're going to understand their roles. And, and you know, that really helps a team going forward. Another team that hit, you know, Paul Maneri at LSU does a great job of getting his teams to peak at the end of the year. His record in May is really phenomenal. And they have a lot of pieces to juggle. And I I like LSU's talent an awful lot, but they just have more questions for me. And that's why LSU is number two and not number one ahead of Vanderbilt. And, you know, they both had kind of up and down seasons. Like Joe, you mentioned with Vanderbilt, it was a bit of a roller coaster. Well, LSU was really a roller coaster. And they were in the very unfamiliar position of not hosting a regional last year. Usually the, they, they get to stay at home that first weekend in Baton Rouge. They did not. They had to go to Corvallis. And uh, that did not end particularly well for the Tigers. The, the Beavers really took it to them out there in regionals. But then on draft day, LSU had perhaps the best draft of anyone in college baseball. Uh, not only did they hold together almost their entire recruiting class, they lost only two players, and then that winds up being the number one class in the country, but they also got Zach Hess, Zach Watson, and Antoine Duplantis, three key draft-eligible players to say no to, to Major League Baseball for a year, to come back to LSU, to give it another shot at, at going to Omaha, and getting those three players back is massive. Uh, you know, Zach Hess was a little inconsistent on Friday nights last year as a sophomore. He's got something to prove. He's coming off of a big summer with Team USA. And then to get Duplantis and Watson back in the outfield, and then you still have Daniel Cabrera out there. He's just, he's a sophomore now. I mean, that's one of the best outfields in the country. And beyond that, then you get two other players coming back from injury, and Eric Walker, who was a weekend starter on uh, the 2017 runner-up team before he had Tommy John and had to miss last year. And you get Josh Smith back at shortstop, uh, who also was a starter at third base on that 2017 team as a freshman, then moved to shortstop last year to replace Kramer Robertson and just had a a back strain or a a stress reaction in his back that he couldn't shake all season. And that really impacted LSU last year, not having Josh Smith in the lineup and in the middle of the diamond. He's back now. So they have some pieces to fill in around him in the infield and a catcher. And they have to kind of figure out the rotation a little bit. I really like Landon Marceau as a freshman coming in. He'll step in behind Zach Hess. They've got Todd Peterson back in the bullpen. They have a lot of pieces. They also have a lot of questions. When you look at, you know, is Zach Hess going to be able to take the step forward to be more consistent on Friday nights? Who's going to play around Josh Smith in the infield? You know, the, the pieces are there. The talent is there. I feel very confident that LSU is going to get this figured out. 
at this point, they just have a little more uncertainty around them than, uh, than Vanderbilt does. And I believe, I believe that part of college baseball now is, is about the main thing is recruiting. I mean, recruiting, and obviously LSU does it at, at the, the highest level. But a lot of it of success of college programs now is what you alluded to is having a little bit of luck, keeping those recruits and getting them to campus and staying injury-free or bringing back key members of your team from the last year that you had lost when you had made a run during the regionals but had lost some key pieces. And Vanderbilt, has, or I mean, LSU has done a little bit of each one of those, and that's why I believe they're, they're destined to have a very good season. They, they went on the road to Corvallis and lost to the, to the eventual defending champion. The one thing we didn't even talk about with LSU is that they have the X factor, and that's the home field advantage. And with the, the amount of games they play at home, that gives them the advantage because that's the home field advantage that they have for their team each and every game. For me, the thing that Paul Maneri has to, as, as, a, as a big luxury this year is with the return of Watson and Duplantis in the outfield, you, you really know what you're going to get offensively from all around in that outfield. But in particular, that's a really dynamic offensive outfield. And I think it takes some pressure off some of those holes in the infield where maybe they can play a guy like Hal Hughes uh, you know, at third base, or Brant Broussard at second base, and not feel as pressured maybe to shoehorn a more offensive player uh, into those positions. I think it just gives him a little bit of a cushion to be a little more strategic about, okay, let's let's look for guys who are more solid on the infield, guys that are going to be a little bit better defensively, instead of thinking, how are we going to replace all this offensive production? And I think that, that puts you in a really good place as a coach where you just can really go with, you, you, you can really play to a team's strengths or play to the, your players' strengths and not try to kind of, you know, change the team a little bit based on who you're missing. Absolutely. And, and one, one thing with that is that they have, they can kind of put out a defensive lineup if they want to, or they can put out a really offensive lineup if they, if they want to. And you know, they can play some matchups. They can put in defensive replacements early if they, if they need to. And, you know, I, I think that infield is going to take a little while to settle. There are just a lot of pieces there. You mentioned Broussard and Hal Hughes. You also have newcomers like Drew um, Bianco and C.J. Willis and, and Gavin Duga. And how all of that fits together remains to be seen. That's going to be a puzzle for Paul uh, to figure out. But again, like I said, by May 1st, LSU is usually rolling. And I expect this year uh, to be a similar situation. Paul's going to find the right moves to make, and he's going to make them, and he's not going to be afraid to make them. And the, you know, they're going to eventually take off and be a very dangerous team by the time the postseason comes around. So it was SEC at one and two. Checking in at number three is UCLA. And Dave, I know that you spoke with uh, Coach Savage about UCLA. What, what can you tell us about the Bruins? Well, it's really funny, Teddy, because over the years, you know, when you look at UCLA baseball or any program that, that Coach Savage is affiliated with, you usually start with the pitching. Uh, in this year's team, that's not necessarily the case. Uh, I'll, I'll get to that in a minute, but you got to start with the obvious, and that's their offense. They return a very balanced, experienced offense that has put up tremendous numbers, led by Michael Toglia, Chase Strump, and Jeremy Eden. Uh, just having those three guys back with the numbers they've put up that are going to be in the middle of the order is going to make it uh, in what I believe is going to be a very offensive Pac-12 is going to uh, uh, allow them to be successful. And then you add in a young man named Garrett Mitchell who plays, uh, will be in the outfield, who, who John raved about. He's a very toolsy guy and really expects a big year out of him. Um, their team is, is pretty strong. And then you get to the – and then the, the, to back that up is, is the defense. Uh, he likes his defense tremendously well. They're, they're going to they're gonna have three shortstops on the field. Um, one at obviously playing the, the shortstop position and Kevin Kendall, uh, Ryan Kreiler will be at third base. He's a, he could play shortstop in the program. And then uh, one of the top recruits in the, in the nation, uh, Matt McClain, who will be out, will start out in center field, who eventually will probably be in the infield uh, as his days go at UCLA. So I really like their team a lot. I think this is a team that, uh, that coach Savage and staff uh, has a chance to go deep in the postseason and, and I think they'll be disappointed if they're not one of the last teams in, in Omaha. I talk about them being a little bit light on pitching, and that's out of respect for what Coach Savage has done over his career with his pitching staff. But I don't think that, you know, when you talk about Ryan Garcia, he's coming back after being 8-1 last year with a 2.23 ERA. 
John really believes he's a clear-cut Friday guy, and uh, he'll match up with anyone that they go up against, not not only in in non-conference, but uh, in conference play, too. And then follow that up with uh, Zach Petway, uh, who was 8-4 and four last year, who he believes is a durable go-to guy. But probably the, the Achilles uh, factor in this is, is Jesse Bergman, Bergen, a, a freshman that really blew up in the fall, uh, 93-94 with two breaking balls and a change. And John really likes him a lot. And he's going to be typical one of those guys that, that John usually has in that Sunday slot or midweek guy that we're going to be talking about in three years that's going to be a first-round draft pick. That's just how he, he molds them and brings them along. We can question the pitching. I think there's a little bit of question in the starting pitching, but uh, the bullpen the bullpen's going to be strong, and there's going to be depth in the bullpen. They return Holden Powell, who's got a power arm and a, a plus-plus slider. They bring back a real pitchability guy in Kyle Mora, who can go back-to-back days out of the bullpen, coming off a good year last year where ZRA was below two. And then to add in a couple freshmen um, that, that he really likes in, in Sean Mullen, and Nick Nostrini, that will be midweek, uh, possible midweek guys and pushing guys on the weekend. Again, we talk about the pieces. Uh, there's pieces there. They brought in a great recruiting class. Some of those guys are going to have to be patient because they're so they're so mature throughout their lineup. But uh, they're going to have depth on the offense. And being a, a good offensive team that's going to play good defense, Coach Savage will figure out the pitching, and, and when they figure that out, it's going to be important. And the guy I didn't even mention that's going to be a, a wild card that, that could make the difference in their season is going to be Justin Hooper. He's coming back from an injury. Uh, they're going to bring him along slow. Um, they feel that he may be back to full strength by, by April in the spring. He's going to be a key guy because they're so right-handed in the rotation. They're going to bring him along slow, but he's going to be a key guy because he's left-handed. He has good stuff, and if, if he can return to form, it really lengthens out their pitching and makes them a, a national contender in my mind. The uh, the rotation is kind of one of the questions that, that you mentioned, Dave, and I think it's one of those interesting things that might be more of a postseason problem than a regular season problem because, you know, you got a couple guys in Garcia and Petway who have been there and done that and you feel pretty good about them. And you combine that with a, you know, with a guy with a high ceiling like Jesse Bergen and, and you feel pretty good about going through the regular season. But it's one of those things where then you get into the postseason, and, and as as you guys know, that the way you win kind of changes a little bit. Uh, you want the depth during the regular season, you want steadiness during the regular season. But when you get in the postseason, you want a guy that you trust to go out there and win you the winners bracket game in a regional, or go out there in game one of a super, or game one of Omaha, and really be able to shut down the opposition. And I think that's what bodes well for UCLA. I think they've got the arms to get them through the regular season successfully, put them in a position to host, to be a top eight. And then, but the thing about it is, once they get into the postseason, with John Savage's history, you kind of assume at that point it's probably too late to get them because at that point they probably have brought some of these arms along. They probably have better developed some guys. They've got their roles a little more defined. So it's a situation where against some high-end opposition early in the season, you might be able to poke some holes here, but I think they're going to be a, a well-oiled machine by the time they get to the postseason, and it might be too late for other teams to be able to take advantage of that perceived weakness. That, that's Go an ahead. interesting Go point with, uh, with that because, I mean, when you think back to the national championship, it was after Cole and Bauer left. It was Adam Plutko leading the way who isn't, you know, I love Adam Plutko, but he's not, he's not Cole and Bauer. He wasn't the first or third overall pick in the draft. And if Ryan Garcia can be that kind of pitcher, they have experience winning with that. And, yes, they won that in the, the absolute deadest ball era of college baseball in recent years. But, you know, they, they have – starting pitching they just like we mentioned with with Vanderbilt maybe they don't have the dominant Friday guy but Ryan Garcia is coming off of a strong cape he's coming off of a strong sophomore year um, you know the fact that he doesn't throw 97 isn't the biggest deal uh, as long as he goes out and does what he's supposed to do and then I'm also interested in, in Dave you mentioned Jesse Bergen and Sean Mullen and those are two guys that weren't as famous in high school because they suffered injuries that kind of uh, mm-hmm. kept them either, off, in Sean Mullen's case, that kept him off the circuit as a junior, and then Bergen missed his senior spring. So those are two guys that were a little out of sight, out of mind, but uh, you know they have a lot of talent, and if they're ready to go now, if they're fully healthy, and they should be, uh, you know, they really can help the Bruins. One thing I wanted, uh, that I, I failed to mention, one thing that will be something I'll watch closely is, I, I talk about the, the, the really good recruiting class they brought in, but 
they're going to start out with Noah Cardenas behind the plate, a really good catch and throw guy, but he's a true freshman. And when we talk about the concerns from a pitching staff of what they will have, you're going to be throwing to a true freshman. And, and John feels that he's, that he's going to be able to handle the pitching staff, but, but again, he's a freshman. So that'll be a key, a key, something key to watch as, as the Bruins develop throughout the year. Absolutely, and he also was a little under the radar in high school. He was not super famous. His brother went to Fullerton as an outfielder and got drafted this year, but that is, that is absolutely uh, a, a thing to watch. Uh, anytime you have a true freshman behind the plate, it's, it's a little different. Um, yeah. So we'll, we'll, we'll see what UCLA has, but we, we have them as the Pac-12 favorites at, at number three. Uh, and then at number four, we have Florida. And the Gators, speaking of things that will be a little different, the Gators will be a little different this year. You know, they lost what they lost, and, and it was a lot. In when you look at guys like Brady Sinner, the player of the year, Jackson Coar, Jonathan India, uh, J.J. Schwartz, th- those guys are all gone, and, and, and those, those guys are a huge part of why Florida has been as good as they've been for the last few years. But the thing about Florida under Kevin O'Sullivan is that they just reload, and They've done this so many times during his decade plus uh, at, at Florida that at this point, kind of have to trust that it's going to happen. And, and there's a lot of talent on the roster still. Uh, you look at Tyler Dyson taking over on Friday nights, and he has to take a step up. You know, he, he didn't have the best year last year. There, there's no doubt about that. But that is also the guy that went out and won the, you know, the, the College World Series clinching game. Uh, as a freshman two years ago. So, you know, he can be on Friday nights, and you've got Jack Leftwich and Tommy Mace, who pitched very well as freshmen last year, coming in behind him in the rotation. There's good talent offensively. Uh, you have Will Dalton coming back. Nelson Maldonado is a senior. He's coming back. Uh, those two guys are going to kind of bring the power. And then there's a lot of athleticism. When you look at guys like Austin Laneworthy, you know, and I'm very interested to see what Brady McConnell has at shortstop. That's a guy that a year ago was the top-ranked position player to get to college and uh, was kind of penciled in as, as uh, Florida shortstop as a freshman, started on opening day. He had a wrist injury, never really got right, never really got rolling, uh, and Florida had Deacon Lippett to, to slide over at, at shortstop and Jonathan India. Both of them played shortstop at, at times. and So they had options while McConnell was was struggling and then injured. And well, now Florida needs Brady McConnell to step up and be the guy that was a potential first rounder coming out of high school. And I think he can do it. It's going to be interesting to see what he looks like this year. He's a draft eligible sophomore. So um, you know, they both have a lot riding on this, both both Brady and the, and the Gators. Yeah, so that's going to be interesting to see. And then also behind the plate, Florida under Kevin O'Sullivan has been so good at catcher when you think about guys like Mike Zanino and uh, Mike Rivera and then J.J. Schwartz. Uh, this year it's going to be Brady Smith. He's a sophomore. He played infield last year. He's, he is a catcher. Uh, he had to play, play the infield last year with Schwartz behind the plate. But Brady Smith can go back there and, and be a solid player. And if he can do that, and if Brady McConnell can step up, then Florida should be pretty solid. And the, I, I guess the thing is, up the middle, when you're looking at Smith, McConnell, and then in center field, Judd Fabian, who should be a high school senior right now, he enrolled a semester early. It's a little different up the middle in those those three premium spots, but uh, those guys all have good defensive ability. They just kind of have to go out and do it. And this is another team that what they look like on opening day is not what they're going to be at the end. You know, Sully has never been afraid to play freshmen, to take lumps early in the season, because the payoff when you have the kind of talented freshmen and, and other young players that he typically has, you know, it's going to, the, the payoff is big once you get around to May and June. So that's going to be what this Florida team looks like. And, you know, it, it's going to be, it's different. And there are guys that have to prove themselves. But I really believe that they will be able to, to get on track and in the postseason, you know, be the kind of Florida teams that we've become accustomed to. I agree. I, I think out of all the teams we've talked about this year, uh, they're all very talented. Obviously, that's why they're ranked so high. They're all led by great leaders as head coaches and coaching staff. But I think out of all the, the four we've talked about, Florida has the most guys that are going to need to have uh, rebound years, going to have to step up um, 
because there is so many question marks. There's a lot of talent. There's a lot of respect for Soli and what he does with his team. That's going to be a tough-minded team. But I think they may have the most question marks, even with a lot of talent. And we're going to have to see, like you mentioned, many guys come back from maybe not as good a years last year and have good years for this team. And again, they're going to probably take some lumps early because they play such a tough schedule. But I think by SEC play, they'll know what, who's filled what roles. Some of the younger guys who may have gotten a chance may have passed some guys, and I think Florida will, will take off again. That's where I think really maybe the most important guy on this team is, is a guy like Nelson Maldonado, uh, just a veteran who's been there a long time, who's productive, doesn't have uh, the pedigree necessarily of, of some of the other guys that have come through Florida and put up numbers, um, but he's a guy that they can plug in the lineup and they know what they're going to get from him. And Will Dalton's the same way, but you know Will Dalton, um, not quite as long a history at, at Florida as, as Maldonado, but um, you know, those two are a couple of guys that they just kind of know what they're going to get. And with some of the other question marks, that's really, really valuable, even if those aren't going to be National Player of the Year candidates necessarily, although I guess Dalton's numbers were at least in that, in that neighborhood last year. Um, on the mound, like, you know that saying in, like, college basketball where you just assume that Kansas is going to win the Big 12 no matter how, what kind of start they get off to? That's kind of Florida's rotation for me. You know, at this point, we're just going to assume that whoever fills in those spots is just going to end up being outstanding and put up great numbers and then go off into pro baseball and the cycle will repeat. Uh, you know, I remember kind of hand-wringing myself over, oh, man, Logan Shore and A.J. Puck are gone and what are we? And then Singer and Coar were maybe better, you know. Um, so I, I, this is just kind of the way of the world with Florida. And, I, you know, um, I suppose eventually that cycle will, you know, will break and they'll have somebody who doesn't quite hit. Uh, but at this point, I think they deserve the benefit of the doubt. And I think that's why they are where they are in these rankings. Yeah, and the thing about Tyler Dyson is, no, he hasn't proven himself in quite the way that, um, you know, Sinner and Fayedo had by the time they took over as Friday night starters. But Tyler Dyson is still expected by Major League Scouts to be a first-round draft pick. So, you know, the, he, he might not be quite the known quantity to, to college baseball fans, but there is no question about the ability. And then Mason Leftwich behind him and, um, when you look at the bullpen, Jordan Butler is, was really good as a freshman. They get Hunter Ruth back, who missed his freshman year as he recovered from Tommy John, and he's out there throwing like 97. And uh, Nolan Crisp, another early enrollee, should be able to help out with high leverage innings right away. And honestly, this pitching staff looks like it should be deeper than what they've had in the last couple of years. And that's good because... In the last couple of years, Sinner, Coar, and Faito had been able to uh, just shoulder immense loads. And to ask Dyson, Leftwich, and, and, and Mace to do that, might be, it might be premature to do that. But if Florida can, get, can use that depth that they have now, you know, that they should be in, in a good position where you know, maybe they wind up piggybacking like they did a couple of years ago with Dane Dunning and A.J. Puck. Maybe that happens, but they have the depth to offset the fact that they lost a couple real workhorses, uh, you know, especially Brady Sainter, who was the best player in college baseball last year and an absolute force on Friday nights. So you gave him the ball and you knew he wasn't going to lose. So, I mean, yes, that's gone, but they've replaced it. They're not going to replace it one-to-one. They're going to replace it with depth. When we talk about big-time pitching staffs, Florida, of course, is coming up, but also North Carolina checking in at number five. They've got an outstanding pitching staff coming back again this year, and that was a big part of why they went to Omaha last year. And uh, Joe, wh what do you make of North Carolina this year? Yeah, the pitching is the first thing that stands out to me. Uh, you know, a rotation of Gianluca Delatri and, and Austin Bergner and Tyler Baum's got just a really high ceiling. And there are some things that probably – need to occur for them to take kind of that next step as a pitching staff. I think they'd, you know, like Berger and Baum to be a little steadier, take a little bit of a step forward, both uh, very solid in 2018, but both with the RAs and the four, you'd like to see them shave that maybe a little bit. And then health is a big thing, which you could say about every single team in college baseball, uh, because you don't have minor leagues, at the college level, obviously you got who you got. And, and, you know, last year at the lottery was a guy who missed a lot of time. They were really leaning hard on him and he missed a lot of time, and ultimately, it, it, I mean, it, it mattered, but they ended up still getting to Omaha, so it's hard to really say it deterred them too much, but it put them in a position where they really kind of had to mix and match things a little bit throughout the season and, and patch it together, and in some way, I think that benefits them this year um, and puts them in a position where uh, they could be even better this year and then get back to Omaha because you had guys like Caden O'Brien and, and Joey Lancelotti 
who are going to have big roles in this 2019 team that probably saw a little more run uh, than they might have otherwise, just because UNC there was, I, I remember the, the conversations in, in early March about what's wrong with UNC and, and is, you know, is this a year maybe where they just take a step back and it's kind of a rebuilding year because of injuries and other things. And of course they, they got it figured out. And um, I think some of that was just them trying to figure out who do we have. And, and like I said, guys like O'Brien and Lance Lottie were a big part of that. And this year, you know, O'Brien may be a guy that moves into a midweek role and sees uh, with enough success, maybe into the rotation. It looks like that's kind of the direction they're headed with him. Lance Lottie more of a, a back end bullpen guy, but so that that's what stands out to me. Uh, with this team is that pitching, but that's not to say offense is, is going to lag behind. Uh, they return several starters from last season and a key positions. Brandon Martirano, a catcher, you always want to have an experienced catcher there. He fits that bill. Ike Freeman at shortstop. Um, in the outfield, you've got a couple of guys, familiar faces in Ashton McGee and Michael Bush, and, and Michael Bush is going to be a key piece of that puzzle. Last year, an incredible year, full-time first baseman for the Tar Heels, put up big-time numbers, and they're going to try him in the outfield, and I think that would give Mike Fox a lot of flexibility if he's able to handle that position. Um, it puts him in a, in a situation where if Bush can prove he can handle the outfield and a freshman in Aaron Sabato, who's going to get a shot to be the everyday first baseman, ends up tearing the cover off the ball early on and shows he can handle that position, it makes it to where uh, they're a little bit deeper in their lineup. Of course, if it doesn't, they can always move Bush back to first base and try someone else in the outfield. But, but being able to have your best hitter not just be parked at one position or put a DH or what have you is a really big thing to have at, at this level. A um, couple other guys that, that stick out to me, Ben Kasparius is one, not a full-time guy last year, but came on late in the year, uh, was a big part of things once the team got to Omaha, looking at potentially being a, a two-way guy. He's going to handle third base, guy with a big physical body, uh, has some pop in the bat, and then, and then on the back end of the bullpen could be a guy who chips him a little bit there. And Jackson Hesterly is another guy. He's a, a senior who's going to uh, get some shot at some more at-bats this year. But, you know, given that they're going to have a couple of freshmen in that lineup, Danny Ceretti and Aaron Sabato projected to be in the lineup from day one. Um, anytime you can bring that type of experience into the lineup to try to lessen the pressure on some of those new faces, that's obviously a big, big deal. So uh, there are some questions here. I think last year we what we learned about them is, is – they're a pretty resilient group. Um, they, there, there were a lot of questions about how the season was going to go early in the year last year, and they answered those questions. Ended up in Omaha, and you know they're they're poised to potentially have a repeat performance in 2019. I tell you that for me, for me, Joe, I think you know all that stuff was right on. Their pitching staff is, has a chance to be special, but I think the biggest thing that happened for North Carolina this year was them retaining Coach Woodard. I think. Uh, he does a fabulous job with that pitching staff. He's one of the uh, young, up-and-coming superstars in, in the game of college baseball. And I think by North Carolina preventing him to go into, into pro ball, I think is going to pay huge dividends, not only for this year, but in years to come. That, that was a big keeper for them, and not just for the future, but for this year's team, for what they, the nucleus they have on that pitching staff. Absolutely. And I, I'm interested to see how he handles it this year. Uh, there are a lot of options. And, you know, I, I'm still waiting for Tyler Baum to kind of break out. That's I, I really have liked Tyler Baum since he was in high school. And if they can get him going and Bergner going and Delatry going, I mean, that's one of the, the absolute best pitching staffs. And, you know, whether that means that those guys are all starters or whether someone emerges as a closer or, or whatever they do, uh, you know, because Woody's can be pretty innovative at times. You know, who knows, maybe they'll go with an opener somewhere in there. Uh, you know, I, that, that would not surprise me. They have a lot of things that they can do, and, and I think that that lessens some of the offensive pressure because they do have a little bit uh, to replace offensively, and you can count on Michael Bush to, to pick up a lot of that, but you know, they, they do have to replace guys like Datris and, and Gahagan who had been veterans in, in that lineup for so long. So the pitching staff being you know, as good as it can be is, is going to be important for the Tar Heels this season. That takes us through the top five. And as much as I would love to run through six through 25 as in-depth as we have been going, you know, we're going to be talking about these teams all year long. So we got a lot to do and, you know, we, we want to save something to talk about for the, the weeks to come. So what we're going to do now is we're each going to kind of take a team from the the rest of the rankings, and we're gonna we're gonna break them down. And uh, Joe, you wanted to talk about Texas Tech, and they check in at number eight. The Red Raiders are the Big Twelve favorites. Uh, they've become, or they're, they're coming off of a, a trip to Omaha, and it seems like this team has a has a pretty good shot at getting back there. Yeah, I think it. 
what interests me so much about this Texas Tech team is that I think this team in particular and where we have them ranked in the preseason shows how far this program has come and where they are as a program because this this isn't a situation where they come back with everybody from last year. I mean, there's there's big losses here. Grant Little, Zach Reams, Cody Farhat, Michael Davis in the lineup. Uh, you know, they never had Stephen Gingery really last year, but, you know, he was a guy they were that has been obviously a big part of their success recently. But Davis Martin, Ryan Shedder, Jose Quezada, Ty Harpino, I mean, that's, those are a lot of guys who had big roles for them last year, and yet we project them to be right back in position to uh, potentially get to Omaha. And I think that says a lot about, about where they are. And I think the blueprint for what they did last year, um, it could be similar to what we see from them this year in, in a couple ways. One is that they're once again just going to have a really dynamic athletic offense. Obviously the big name there is Josh Young. Um, just a really athletic guy who handles third base well, um, but more so offensively. I mean, a guy with a lot of power, there's maybe even a little bit more uh, home run power in that bat. Uh, than what we've seen, but, uh, you know, hit nearly 400 next, uh, last, or excuse me, last year. Um, you know, for me, he's a pick for Big 12 player of the year. It's obviously hard to replicate the type of season that he had last year, but, uh, given what we've seen from him so far, that would not be a surprise there. But, uh, you know, Brian Klein's a, a veteran who can play multiple positions, has good speed, can make things happen on the base pass. Cameron Warren's kind of an overlooked piece of this offense, but he's a masher in the middle of the order. Um, then you've got some guys, oh, Gabe Holt, I, I can't forget Gabe Holt here, but the same, kind of the same. There's questions about, you know, what you do with him defensively, um, but he's a really good athlete, and you kind of have to assume that he's going to, once he has a little more experience under his belt, that he's going to be pretty good out there just because of the athleticism he brings to the outfield, but um, largely looks to be a finished product with the bat in terms of what he's produced. That's another guy there. And then, uh, you know, Cody Masters is the guy Tim Tadlock's really high on. He's kind of in that same mold. Um, you know, a good hit guy who's a really good athlete who's going to make things happen on the bases. Um, Max Marusek, uh, potentially the Big 12's freshman of the year. Uh, Tim Tadlock put an 80 grade on his wheels here. That's obviously uh, really high praise. And will remain, uh, it remains to be seen if that's what ends up being played out. That is accurate. He, is, he was <laughs> potentially the fastest player in the draft last year. Well, so there you go. So, I mean, that that's the type of player that, that we're going to see Manning center field for Texas Tech. And, uh, in their batting order. So this is a team that's going to be able to beat you in a lot of different ways offensively. You know, Josh Young and, and, and Cameron Warner guys that are going to, uh, you know, be able to beat you with a long ball. But Masters and Marusic and Holt and Klein and Dylan Noisy, a guy who's going to be taking over at shortstop, are guys that can beat you in a lot of other ways. Um, it, it's not a team that if a couple guys go into a slump for a couple weeks that are really going to crater offensively. The other part of that is the pitching staff, though. And there there are questions here. I mean, Caleb Killian's a guy that, we feel like we know what to expect at the front of the rotation, but beyond him, you know, John McMillan, a big time arm, but sometimes a guy who struggles with control and command. Kurt Wilson, another guy Tadlock's really high on, but you know, last year had an 8-10 ERA. We've yet to see him really put it together. A freshman in Mason Montgomery who is is, is highly regarded, uh, but again unproven. So that might kind of scare you away from them a little bit, but that's kind of what they dealt with last year. Let's let's not forget that, you know, last year they lost Stephen Gingery, who was going to be their Friday night guy at the beginning of the year, and they, they didn't have him all season. And they still just kind of figured it out. They patched it together. I, I think there's no better example than what they did in Omaha last year where they were starting Dylan Dusick, but really just trying to get him through two or three innings so they could bring in Ryan Shetter to try to mostly finish it off. Uh, you know, oftentimes they'd have to turn to somebody to actually finish it, but Shedder would throw all of those middle innings. When you have as many high-impact arms as Tech has, you just have to bet on them kind of figuring it out. And it might be kind of messy along the way, and there might be times where you have questions about, is this team going to pitch enough to get them back to Omaha? But we saw them do it last year, and I think this year's group uh, of arms is, is potentially better. Um, so I don't see any reason why we can't, just expect um, them to kind of figure it out again. I mean, that's maybe that's asking a lot. And, and again, I, you know, maybe regression to the mean says that eventually that isn't going to be a formula that's successful. Um, but it, it, I, I would sure bet on it in, in 2019. Well, I think it's hard not to bet against what Coach Tadlock has done at Texas Tech and Lubbock. And uh, I, I had the misfortune of having to go up against that lineup last year, Joe, when I was at West Virginia. And and Young is everything that he's built to be offensively. He's as good as a pure hitter as I saw last year. And then I have a position for Gabe Holt. That's in the leadoff spot and stealing about 30 <laughs> to 40 bases. That's a position that I would put him in every single day. And that guy created so much havoc on the bases. You knew he was running. You just couldn't stop him. And it's going to be a pretty explosive offensive lineup, I believe. I think it's going to be a tough lineup to get through. 
I think it's only going to get better. And when it gets hot there in Lubbock, the ball flies. They're going to put up big numbers. I think the one question is, like you said, they've got good arms but they're going to have to figure out the pitching um, because you can't go, you can't just out slug someone all year long. They're going to out slug a lot of people, but they're going to need to get settled with the pitching. But I think it goes back to what they have offensively. And then the, the Tim Tadlock factor that he's proven that he's going to put a winner on the field each and every year. And he's done that since he's been at, at Texas tech. I love Josh Young so much like that. He is one of the best players in college baseball. Uh, you know, he's coming off of an all American season he, you know, Joe, you mentioned him as a Big 12 player of the year favorite. Like, I strongly considered him and as my player of the year pick. He just does so much well in the batter's box, and he's a really good defender, and he is going to be key for, for Texas Tech this year. And, I, I mean, we're all looking at the pitching and kind of wondering, but that's, honestly, that's kind of Texas Tech in over the last few years. You know, they, they're... Pitching had, had been young, you know, when they had Davis Martin out there as a freshman and, and Gingry having the kind of sophomore year that he had. And uh, th- they figure it out. And it's not an easy place to pitch in Lubbock. Um, so some of that, it, you know, they, they have to be a little more offensive. And, you know, eventually the, they will get this pitching figured out. But until then, I, I think they have plenty of offense to support it. And they're going to be you know, the team to beat in the Big 12, they've, they've put themselves in that position. And I, I think that this is a team that has so much athleticism on it that just trying to stop them offensively is going to be very, very difficult. So that, that all will help take some pressure off the pitching staff until they can kind of figure out their roles uh, you know, going forward, where, how they best fit together. And, you know, maybe they wind up with a do-shutter combination again, something like that. You know, they've, they've, shown that they, they'll do what it takes to find the pitching. It, it might not look the most conventional, but they'll find a way. And you know, So I, I, I'm excited to see what, what these Red Raiders look like this year. It's always, you, you know that those fans down there are going to you know, have a fun time watching these te- this team, and uh, you know, it's going to be a packed house every night in Lubbock. So it, it'll be a fun show uh, as, as we look at the Red Raiders now, Dave, you wanted to, to look at the defending national champs. I have as much of a new look as any team, but there is a lot of talent in Corvallis still, and, and the Beavers check in at number 10. Yeah, you know, I, I had the fortune of talking to Coach Bailey, and, and I kind of joked with him, and I, with all my respect that I have for Coach Casey, I said, you know, when you lose Matagrall and, and Larnich and, and Griner and and Quan and, and Heimlich, it's a good time to walk away. And but you know <laughs> you, you can't feel, you can't feel sorry for them because when you return guys like uh, the national freshman of the year Kevin Abel, you return a ten game winner in Bryce Femmel, and then not only to not even bring up that you have you return uh, maybe the one one next year in next year's draft Adley Rushman, you've got a pretty good nucleus to build around. Uh, the one thing that you know we talked about a lot is we kind of compared. The, the contrast of the Pac-12 and, and the offensive clubs that are going to be in that conference this year, they're a little different. They're, they're going to be all about pitching and defense. And I'll get to what they need to replace on the field up in the middle, but their pitching is what's going to carry them to allow their offense to grow up. So the one concern that Coach had was uh, the lack of A-B some of their guys have in their lineup. They're going to have to replace some of that and, and find out who are the key guys uh, the middle of the diamond, we all know that's where the success of teams come from. Obviously, with Adley behind the plate, that's the key guy. And one of the things that, that Coach just raved about him, it, what, we didn't even really talk about him as a player because I think the numbers and the, the awards speak for itself. But he was talking about how he's never been around such a selfless player, a leader by example, which we could all see on the field, how humble he is. And the best thing he said to me that, that, need, that all I needed to hear about this player was that he was a better person than he was a player. And we all know what kind of player he is. Replacing the middle of the diamond is going to be key. You know, uh, uh, losing Griner, who was a very good shortstop, and Matagrell, who was a off, very offensive uh, second baseman that was a good player. Um, they really like a, a J.C. transfer from San Joaquin Delta College, that last year's California State champion, in Bo Phillip, uh, 
He really thinks he's a really good player. He was a good player when he got on campus, and he believes he's gotten better. He's going to be an exciting offensive player. He believes he's going to play great defense. He talked about all the innings they played in the fall as a team. They played 36 innings, and they only made one error as a team. And that kind of gets brushed under the rug sometimes about Oregon State is the consistency they've had defensively, which has allowed them to be successful. And I think that's going to be needed with this year's team to complement that pitching. The other position at second base, they have a freshman they really like that's a that flashes to be a big-time defender and Jake Harvey. And then they have Andy Armstrong, who played some second last year. He's going to start the season at third. But that gives them another option on the infield to try to plug up that middle. Um, in center field, they've got to replace Stephen Kwan. And we all know that he was a, a dynamic center fielder that, that covered a lot of ground. And they believe they, ha- they have um, some guys to do that. Uh, they've got Jones, who played some, some center field uh, last year for them. And they've got uh, uh, McMahon, who is also a guy that they believe is going to be a guy that uh, that can, uh, Kyler McMahon, that, a guy that didn't play last year, he's a sophomore, but they really like in center field. So I think that's going to be a key. But for me, when I look at this team, probably the, the key guy is going to be Kyler Malone, a guy that uh, was uh, uh, was made the, the all uh World Series team last year. He tied the record for three home runs in eight games. Him in that lineup is going to be a key because he right now is penciled in to be to hit behind Ali Rushman and him protecting him and bringing out the power that Coach Bailey believes he's starting to see and the consistency of his at bats is going to be a key to their success this season. The pitching staff, you know, you, you talk about you start with Kevin Abel, talk about Bryce Femmel, the tenure or the ten game winner. And then you got Grant, uh, Grant Granbull, who is, has great stuff, just hasn't, he needs more consistency. That's going to be a key for him. He may be a key part of that rotation. But the, when I noticed the voice change in Coach Bailey is when he brought up a young man named Jacob Finney, a 6'7 right-hander, the Gatorade um, player of the year out of the state of Ida, Idaho, a basketball player, a great athlete. He's a guy that's on the come and could really push one of those guys and can really add depth to that rotation um, as the season goes on. And then the return of, of uh, and, um, Andrew um, Walling, a, a guy who had Tommy John surgery that they're going to bring along slow. He was uh, held out last year, and now they're going to bring him along slow, and they think he has a chance to, to, to really help the depth of that pitching staff. And then their bullpen. Their bullpen is – is strong when you build a team that's going to be important with Jake McMullen, uh, Brandon Eisert, and Christian Chamberlain, veterans that have had a lot of success out of that bullpen for them and their success with the World Series run. Um, that's going to be a key. So I think their pitching staff is going to be something to be reckoned with. And in, in a very offensive league, as Coach Bailey said, I'd rather know I have great pitching and great defense to start the season and see how the offense turns out. And I agree with him. I think they have a chance to make a long run. It's going to depend on how they develop those at-bats throughout the lineup and how that middle develops as the season goes. When I was looking at this team, I, I looked at Grant Gambrell as an obvious um, X-factor for them just because you feel pretty good about you know Kevin Abel and, and Bryce Fimmel, obviously, the front of the rotation, like you mentioned, Dave. In that third spot, you have a little bit of a question mark in Gambrell. He's, you know, he's got the stuff, but can he put it all together? But the more I got to thinking about it, I'm like, well, you know, there might not be that much pressure on that spot because of what they bring back in the bullpen with Mulholland and Chamberlain and Iser and you know, even guys like, like Pierce and Sam Tweet, a guy who's had some success in the past. It might be just a situation where if Abel and, and Fimmel give you you know, give you enough innings on Friday and Saturday that your bullpen comes into Sunday fairly rested, and I think we can assume more often than not they're going to do that. It might be a situation where you have, you know, maybe an opener situation where you just want Gambrell to get you a few t- a couple times through the order and then turn it over to the bullpen. I think that's a formula they can be very successful with because it's not a bullpen necessarily full of specialists or one-inning guys. These are all guys who can do a lot of different things, uh, can throw multiple innings for them, um, and they can trust in all situations, and we saw that in the College World Series. They're all guys with that type of experience under their belt. I think that's a great point. There's a lot of versatility on that pitching staff. If Gambrell's not getting it done on Sunday, maybe Chamberlain moves into the rotation. You know, They can do stuff like that, and they don't really have to miss a beat while they're doing it. I think, I mean, it, it's easy to think of this team as kind of Adley Rutschman and then eight other offensive players, but that 
that's not the going to be the way it is. Some of these players are going to step up. That's the Oregon State way that uh, when you get your chance, you you step up into it and, and, and you make the most of it. And you know, so the, Rutschman is by far the most famous player. He's probably going to be the first overall pick in the draft. He's the defending College World Series most outstanding player. He's amazing. But there is going to be help for him in the lineup. And uh, you know, I, I do know that this team is going to score some runs, and they might not have to score a ton of runs given their pitching staff, but they are going to be able to score runs. I think for me, the biggest thing, I mean, th- there are questions on the field, but when you look in the dugout and Pat Casey's not there this year, it's different. And Pat Bailey has, and Nate Yeski have both been there a long time. Pat Bailey's been there for 10 years. He knows he's won a national championship in Division Three. He is a, an incredibly capable coach, but it is different when you take out a guy that's won three College World Series, that's you know really crafted this program, that's been a huge part of this program over the last three decades in Pat Casey, you know what's that going to look like? And I you know I I have a lot of confidence in the Beavers that they're going to you know still be Oregon State, but it is going to be different on opening day when you look over there, and not only are you missing Madrigal, Grenier, Larnick, Heimlich, but you're also missing Pat Casey. So how they all adjust and how quickly they adjust is going to be interesting to see. Uh, and it's going to be critical for the Beavers as they, you know, to do that as fast as possible because the Pac-12 this year is not going to be easy and they're going to need to be, um, you know, ready to go once conference play comes around. Well, there will be a Casey in the dugout, and that'll be Joe Casey who will start the season in, in left field. And, and Coach Bailey really likes him. He says he's athletic. He can cover a lot of ground in the outfield. But we'll, what will be interesting in that situation is that when Joe Casey's playing, there's a lot of times that Pat Casey, father, will probably be in the stands. And that will be an interesting thing to watch. Is it, you, know, you know, obviously Coach Bailey's following a, a future Hall of Famer and, and a wonderful coach, like you said, a three-time national champion. But he's not, he's not left the program. He's going to be in the stands most of the time enjoying watching the son Joe play left field for them. It will be an interesting dynamic. It'll be a fun dynamic to, to watch that play out, and I'm sure, uh, I'm sure Case will have a lot of fun uh, just being able to watch Joe play for, for the first time and yeah. without having to worry about coaching him. One last team we wanted to run over was uh, or run down was um, Ole Miss. We got the Rebels in at number 13, and the SEC is loaded again this year, but I think Ole Miss is one of the more interesting teams in the conference uh, just because they have this lineup that's coming back uh, mostly intact. One of the best lineups uh, in the SEC last year. They were a very offensive team last year, but the whole starting rotation is gone. And you know, when, when I first looked at Ole Miss, I, I was a little concerned about that, that you, know, you lose guys like Ryan Rollison and Brady Feigl and you know, those are those are not small pieces to replace. Uh, Ryan Rollison was the you know a, a first round pick, and you know James MacArthur and Brady Feigl were were very uh, consistent pieces for them. But they're gone now, and Ole Miss has to to find three new starters for that weekend rotation. But you know, in, in looking at it, they have like seven guys that could go out there and be legitimate weekend starters for a, a solid SEC team. So I'm just going to be very interested to see what Coach Mike Bianco settles on. Uh, we're, we're expecting to see Etheridge on Friday nights, and that's a guy who came to Ole Miss uh, very highly regarded and has pitched pretty well out of the bullpen over the last two years, but it's going to be a different thing to, to start on Friday nights. And then freshman coming in, highlighted by Gunnar Hogland, who was a, a top 40 draft pick last year by the Pirates, chooses not to sign to go to Ole Miss, and you got to assume that's a plug-and-play. He had incredible numbers uh, as a Florida high schooler. He walked, I believe it was one batter all of last year. And uh, yes, high school numbers are what they are, but to, to have that kind of control, that's what plays uh, at the college game. So you, you would figure he'd find a spot in there. You've got guys like Jordan Fowler, you know, who is a, really good as a freshman. So there are options for the Rebels, but to settle on three or four guys, it's going to be interesting to see how that develops over the first few weeks of the season and then how the rest of the pitching staff kind of evolves behind the starters. The, the good news is that they have a lot of depth. The starters probably aren't going to have to – it's not going to be a situation where they need seven innings out of them every night. There's a, there's a good bullpen behind them, and they go, should be scoring plenty of runs. 
and they have a really strong defense. You've got Cooper Johnson behind the plate. Uh, he's potentially the best defensive catcher in the SEC. Greg Kessinger is one of the best defensive shortstops around. And you know Ryan Olenek can patrol pretty much anywhere on the field, whether that's in the outfield, second base, third base. They've got Tyler Keenan back, Thomas Dillard's back. You know Those guys, they got a lot of power uh, from, from those two guys and Chase Cockrell. So I, I really think that Ole Miss is going to be a pretty offensive team. And they have enough pitching depth. It's just a matter of kind of figuring out how that all melts together, you know, to make uh, you know a team that, that that can go out and compete. And last year, of course, they were the number four overall national seed. They won the SEC West, and they started the postseason great. They won the SEC tournament. They were rolling in their Oxford Regional before they uh, ran into a wall against Tennessee Tech and got bounced. So how they bounce back from that will be interesting to see. But the, the pieces are there for another very successful season down in Oxford. Yeah, I agree. I, I, really, I, like, this, I like this Ole Miss team. I've always had a lot of respect for Coach Bianco. I think his teams bring as much energy out of that dugout um, during games as, as any program in the country. And, and uh, I think within time they're going to figure out the pieces of where they go. Uh, that offense is going to be very tough. It's deep. And uh, I, you know, again, as you, I'm repeating what we said, the SEC again is going to be very strong with some, some, some high-end teams, uh, um, uh, and I think the country is going to be strong. Going back over the whole top 25, we've just the teams we've talked about. I'm excited to see these teams because they, they're, they're, they have a chance to be all good. And I think it's a pretty, we have Vanderbilt very worthy of being number one, but there's a lot of good teams that have a chance to, to be playing for that national championship. I never know quite how much to to play into the you know a team having a chip on its shoulder or a bad taste in their mouth and, and being extra motivated because for one I feel like you know, the players are pretty self motivated as it is they wouldn't be at this level if they weren't same thing for the coaches but with that being said you know the way they got eliminated last year where they were kind of in control of that regional and to have Tennessee Tech beat them twice and and not even really beat them in a Tennessee Tech kind of way. I mean, in some ways, maybe it would have been easier to take if Tennessee Tech had scored 18 runs on them or something like that. But just the way Tennessee Tech just, you know, went toe-to-toe with them um, and eliminated them on their home field, that that can't have felt good for that group. Um, And so it would not surprise me if we kind of see, um, you know, just some incredibly motivated version of this Ole Miss team come out in 2019 uh, you know, like I said, sometimes I think that gets overplayed a little bit, but I, just the way that season ended, I, I think might kind of carry over a little bit in a positive way um, into 2019. And, and I'm kind of, you know, you know, I ate a lot of crow last year because I was a little bit bearish on Ole Miss because if you remember when that re- that highly regarded recruiting class came in as freshmen and they really had a hard time, uh, many of them had a hard time adjusting and the offense wasn't particularly good and, and they struggled quite a bit. And then you know, I just kind of had a hard time with, you know, they're going to need to improve so much as sophomores, as collectively as a group for this team to be as good as they're projected to be. And I had a hard time kind of getting there, and they proved me very, very wrong. <laughs> they were obviously very, very good last year. So, um, you know, I guess my days of, of, of underestimating this group need to be over. Um, and, and I think that kind of shows in the ranking we have here, um, at least on my part, uh, despite the questions they have on the pitching staff, because I, I think this is a group that's uh, made a big jump last year, and, and I think a similar jump could be expected this year. And when you combine that with the fact that I think it's going to be a motivated group uh, to get this program uh, back in a position to get to Omaha, I think uh, good things are ahead for them. Absolutely. Well, we've uh, we've run through some teams here. I guess it was eight teams, uh, pretty pretty in depth. I feel like, and if you want more. Remember to go over to BaseballAmerica.com throughout this week where uh, we'll have capsules breaking down all of these teams, projected lineups, players to watch, all that kind of fun stuff. Over the course of the week, the, the full top 25 will roll out at BaseballAmerica.com. And then next week, uh, we will have All-Americans and we will have the start of conference previews. So there is plenty of stuff coming to get you guys ready for the season, it is hard to believe we are less than a month out. Uh, it, it is going very fast. February 15 will be here before we know it. So remember, you can uh, follow all of that over at baseballamerica.com, or if you are a print subscriber, or you know, go pick up the the college preview issue, which will be on newsstands in early February. Uh, you can read all of this if uh, you prefer the the physical copies. Everything will be 
uh, will be in there as well in one nice, neat, easy to digest format. It's going to be a pretty jam-packed issue. I'm excited for it. We have to finish it, but I'm excited for what we have coming in the, the college preview issue. So you know, remember to go over to BaseballAmerica.com uh, to, to check all of that out. You can subscribe, and then the magazine will just come to you, and you, you don't have to worry about it. It'll just show up at your house. It's, it's very convenient like that. So as we continue towards opening day, we will be back here on the Baseball America College podcast, breaking down more teams, more conferences, the All-America teams, plenty to come as we progress towards opening day. So remember to subscribe to this podcast on whatever your favorite podcast listening uh, app is, whether that's uh, iTunes or Google Play, Stitcher, whatever. Uh, Make sure to hit that subscribe button. Rate us if you can. Uh, The algorithms love that. uh, And that helps more people to find this wonderful podcast. Check out the, the, the stuff over at BaseballAmerica.com. Subscribe to the podcast. You can follow us on Twitter. I am at Ted Cahill. Dave is at Dave Serrano 11. And Joe is at Joe underscore on underscore sports. So plenty of ways to find our college preview content over the next several weeks. Uh, and we're excited to deliver it to you. So keep it tuned here. Uh, remember to check out BaseballAmerica.com and the magazine. And Uh, We'll be back here next week talking more about college baseball. So we'll talk to you then. For Joe, for Dave, thank you for listening. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.